Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them. I'm speaking with Bill Codlin, who is a farmer in the Clareville area of Etobicoke. Now, um, Bill, where exactly was your farm located? Lot, it was Lot 37, Concession 4, Etobicoke. Now, where would that be? In About one mile south of Clareville on the Indian line. Now, what sort of a farm was it? What did uh, was it a beef farm or a dairy? No, it was just a grain farm. And they used to, oh, they sold a certain amount of beef and pork and seed sometimes. And just a general farm is what they called it in them days. Mixed farming, so you had the chickens and you had chickens and you grew your own yes, vegetables and chickens and they grew our own vegetables and done all our own canning and now what uh, where would you take these take your crops and your your uh, animals to, to sell well most of the animals would go to the union stockyards but the mother and father used to go to the St. Lawrence market every Saturday with the horse and buggy or the team and the wagon, whatever they had to take, and they'd take their butter and eggs and fowl, and apples, potatoes, anything they had to sell. Now, you, you said you, you had apples. Did you have other type of fruit that you grew? Did you have any other type of fruit other than apples? No. Just apples? Yeah. Now, what, uh, what time would they have to, to leave? in the morning to make it down to St. Lawrence Market. I don't remember that, but <laughs> it was pretty early in the morning sometimes, so five o'clock. Long day. And they get back again possibly at six or six thirty at night. Now, um, the what, what sort of chores were you responsible for on the farm? Not too many because we had to get away to, we had to walk a mile and a half at least to school and we'd have to get away before 8 o'clock in the morning and we didn't get home too early at night either and we had to clean out the stables and look after the chickens and in the summertime when we're home we had to help with the harvest. Mm -hmm. Just the general chores around the farm. Now, um, about the, the the village of Clareville, what what sort of stores and that did you have in the village? 
We had a hotel, uh, not really operated as a hotel at the time. It, it was on the west side of the Indian Line, right directly on the end of Albion Road. And then the blacksmith shop was right in the point of Albion Road and what we called the town line at that time. Now, was and there? It was. Uh, the, the, I couldn't say it was the first blacksmith that was there, but he was an uncle of my mother's, and his name was Stephen Dickon, and he was there for quite some time. How big of an area would he serve? Oh, I couldn't say that. Possibly. The nearest one to him would be Woodbridge, and the, there was one in Malton, so he would serve at least a uh, five-mile area right around Clareville. Now, what other sort of... Uh, General store was on the corner of Albion Road and Indian Line on the south side. And the first one I remember in it was Mark Ezard. And he used to have a, take produce to the market for the farmers, and he drove a team in a wagon. Would he get a a, a commission off that, what he sold? Would you remember that? No, the only commission that I remember would he, get, he would get was the farmer's business, and most of them did deal with them around there. And they also had the post office in the store, and, but it was closed out in my time, but I couldn't just say where. Now, was there anything else in, uh, in the village? Well, next to him was that uh, Thomas Longbottom I was speaking of, and the bricklayer. He laid most of the brick in the houses around the area. He built the house on our old homestead farm. It was one that I really know of. And then next to him was William Kitchener, the used to thrash for the farmers in the fall of the year. He'd spend about six months from August on until the end of January. Well, Go we from farm to farm and we used to change labor. Each farmer would send help to the next farmer for a certain area. It took about oh, 10 to 12 men to, at that time. And he thrashed with a steam engine up until about 1922. Now what, what would he do the rest of the year? He was a carpenter. Used to I don't remember him building anything big, but he used to build implement sheds and just general carpenter work around the farm. But he was capable of framing barns, and, but I don't remember him ever building a barn. The, uh, the There was a woodworking shop up there, wasn't there? A fellow by the name of Bill Button, as I remember, run a woodworking shop and he, oh, he made tables and such, just that the farmers required at that time. I remember we had a dining room table at home that my dad got him to make. Good big one, capable of serving a big family like ourselves. 
and my the table is still at my youngest brother's up at Norville. Now, um, if you couldn't buy anything, you wanted to buy something, you couldn't find it in Clareville, where would you go to buy it? Woodbridge was the main place for most of them around there. And they had oh, all sorts of things in Woodbridge, hardware store, dry goods store, drug store. But that was the nearest uh, general place to shop. Would you go down, ever go down to Weston or West Toronto to shop? Not that I remember, but possibly they did. I know when we were young, we used to go down that way sometimes uh, on the old street railway that used to run from Weston up to Woodbridge. They had a, line, a station at Kipling and Albion Road, and that was the nearest. You had to walk to there to get to the old street railway. Now, uh, as a as a kid, what sort of did you play any sports or? Oh, we played a certain amount of hockey. We never were in a league or anything, but we used to have quite a few hockey players around there. And Sometimes at Christmas and New Year's we would clean off a strip on the river. Maybe eight or ten of us get together and clean it all off and pile it up along the sides. And I've seen as many as a hundred people skating on the river there on Christmas or New Year's. And we had a baseball team for a few years. and what the, We were in what they called a house league. It was Smithfield, Thistletown, Humber Summit, and Clareville. And about once a month we used to go down to the Kiwanis Club to have a kind of a... Oh, just a get-together with the boys at the Kiwanis Club. There was no big prizes for the winner or anything like that. It was just more or less to put in the time and a bit of sport. Do you remember the name of your team? No, it was just Clareville. Now, uh, you mentioned the river. Uh, what river was that? That was the west branch of the Humber. It came along, it came into Etobicoke, right at lot 39 and I followed the Indian line down for a little ways and then veered out into Etobicoke for oh possibly a quarter of a mile and then it went back across Indian line for a little ways and then right where they built the bridge in, I think it was in 1931 was where it crossed out of Tronagore into Etobicoke, where now stands the Clareville Dam, right where the bridge was. Now, uh, did you ever go swimming or fishing in the river? Oh yes. In the summertime, we had two or three good swimming holes in the river, and I've seen as many as 20, 30, 40 young lads in these swimming holes. But I remember my dad uh, telling us one time about 
the person got drowned just below the bridge on Steeles Avenue, west of Clareville. He dived down into the swimming hole and got caught under the root of a tree. Mm. But that was the only thing that I ever knew that happened, any of the boys while they were swimming. Now, was there any fishing done? Oh, not to a great extent. There wasn't much in the river, only a few sucker fish, and uh, they weren't the best. Now, you also mentioned the uh, Kiwanis Club, and you played baseball down there. The Kiwanis Club was down what was then Concession 4 below Albion Road, about a mile. And it was on. Lot 35, I would say, the northeast corner of Lot 35, they bought 10 acre in there. Oh, well, they built a nice big pavilion there and a lot of cabins for the boys that they brought out in the summertime. And they used to put a dam in the river and make a quite a swimming pool for the boys. How did you, uh, how did you look upon these, uh, I guess these were from boys from the city. Did, any, did the local people pick on these boys? or No, no, they were very cooperative with the boys. The boys used to, oh no, at times some of them would come up to Clareville to, when we were playing baseball and we used to go down there and have a baseball game with them and they used to come out to the Sunday school and no, it was very cooperative. Everyone got along nicely. Yes, they did. What sort of other organizations would be around there? What would you do for, uh, oh, for fun on a Saturday night or something? There wasn't really much to do. It was during, uh, when we were young, it was during the hard times. Nobody had any money of any account. And we just used to make our own fun in our own way. And I don't think any of the boys ever got into much mischief. And about, oh, I would say, Sixty years ago, anyway, it would be that they a, bunch, a group got together there and formed a kind of a community center, and they bought the old hall that was in the back part of Clareville, and I think Mr. Robert Bowman was must have been a trustee of the hall, and it formerly belonged to the. Forester's Lodge, and we got a fellow there to jack it up and moved it out to the front of the lot and fixed it all up, and they, they used to hold dances and euchre parties and just general things around the community. And then there was, every spring they would have a fair in Clareville, and they used to hold it on the streets show their horses and cattle and sheep, whatever they had to bring to the fair. And, and later on, they bought a piece of land on the west side of the Indian line for a fairground to get off the street. And they used to have their party in the community hall after the fair at night. And 
donate the prizes and have a supper. And do you remember how many people would uh, would show up to one of these fairs? Is it a large crowd? It, no, just a community fair, you might say, but they would come from a lot further out to the fair. We've got some pretty fair crowds. Uh, it would just be a farmer's yes. fair? Would they have yes. races of any sort? No, not that I remember of. There was nothing, only just showing their livestock. Would it be any displays of uh, home-cooked pies or anything like that? No. They had no place to display them. It was just the most of the time it was held on the street. And, uh, no, it was just a general agricultural. Uh, they called it the Tronagore Agricultural Society, and it was just livestock mostly. Now, um, what uh, church did you go to? I went to. Different churches. I attended the Gospel Hall in Clareville frequently, uh, where of a Sunday night, maybe three or four of us take an ocean to go to the Gospel Hall. And but regularly, I attended the United Church down on Rexdale Road. We called it Sharon. Why would you want to go to the uh, the Gospel Hall on a Sunday night? Uh, because we had nothing else to do, I suppose. It was, there was nothing around the town of any entertainment. There was an Anglican church in Clareville, but I don't remember it being operated as a church, but I have been to Sunday school there. There's a Mrs. Lawrence tried to keep it alive for several years, but it's been torn down since, and there's a house built on the property. Uh, so you, the the sermons are were entertaining at the gospel hall, or? Yes, they were. They were mostly young fellows that came there. There'd maybe be about three or four of them would take part in the service, and they were all young fellows, and they interested us very much, and they were very friendly people, and. I suppose maybe that was the reason we went there, is because we were enthused with. But they were entertaining. And now, um, where where is your wife from? She was born down on Renforth, or. Fourth concession now, the same concession as I lived on, I guess, but she was quite a ways south of where I was. And her grandfather lived on the farm right on Dixon Road between concession three and four. Now that would where be. Where now stands the Constellation Hotel. And the drive in theater used to be on the front of the farm. But it's gone now too. And her grandfather, great grandfather, lived on the farm where now stands Carling's Brewery. And her great great grandfather was donated 200 acre of land up on 
Town Mine or Steeles Avenue between Concession 4 and Concession 3. He came out to this country as a surveyor and they donated him a farm as, I suppose, part payment or maybe payment for his services here in Etobicoke. Now, uh, what would um, what would the farmers in your area do for meat? They butcher their own, or some of them butchered their own, but they had a beef ring at one time. Well, it was still in operation when I left uh, Clareville, and a butcher, uh, Garfield Ella was his name. He ran a butcher shop and had a slaughterhouse at Smithfield, and the farmers would, uh, who belonged to the beef ring, would donate a beast each week. If they had one, if they didn't have one, Mr. Ella would get one for them at the market, and he would slaughter it and cut it up and deliver it, I think, to the farmers. Each week, each farmer would get a different cut from a certain animal until they got the cycle, and then they would start over again. It was very interesting, although we never belonged to it. it was the, uh, how many farmers would you say belonged to it? Oh, possibly 15 to 18. Now you went to, uh, to sc which school did you go to? Clairville School. It was situated over on the 8th Concession in Steeles Avenue in Toronto Gore. And it was a Union School section, USS Number 5, they called it, that took in a portion of Vaughan Township and Toronto Gore Township and the Clareville area of Etobicoke. Now, uh, was it a one-room schoolhouse? Yes, it was, until after I had quit there, I, it got burnt. And I was on the, one of the trustees, and we pulled all the old brickwork down and built a new school. There was two rooms in the new school. Now, uh, what sort of an atmosphere would there be in the in the in the classroom? You've got forty to fifty people, I guess, and all different grades. It was very good, although there was always one or two that would test the teacher out. Were you one of them? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was very. Uh, I tried to be very. I was only a small boy when I was young, and I had to take, <laughs> I guess I had to stay in the background, and, uh, but it was, boys went to school when I went, it was young men who were naturally the boss guys, I guess, of the gang, but the teacher got along very good. We had some good teachers, and they got along very good. Is there a liberal use of the strap? Sometimes, yes. 
I remember the first day I w went to school, there was a teacher by the name of McAdam. And he, I always thought a lot of them too, but I remember him lining up about, oh, maybe 20 of them. And I was at the end of the line. And he came right down the line, everybody got it, and then I was just wondering what uh, what that was going to be like when he got to me, so he dismissed me. I didn't get it, so, and I never knew what they got it for. But it was, it was kind of comical in a way, but I always remember that. As soon as he got to me, he just, that was the end of it. Yeah. So I didn't get the strap that day, but I did get it a few times. Any, do you remember anything else about the first day of school? No, not too much. It was, I suppose it's interesting, the same as any other child. The first year is very interesting to a child. What, uh, what grade did you go up to? When Went through grade eight. I tried my entrance in uh, high school at Woodbridge. But I remember the teacher that was at the school the last three years I went. I was caretaker of the school as well at the time. It was a Miss Rutledge, and she now lives up in Bramley. And her name is Mrs. Sherd. I thought, I thought an awful lot of her. She had great patience and was a nice person. And we don't realize just what the teachers try to do for you until after you quit school. But I did appreciate what Miss Rutledge did for the school. Now, um, what sort of, uh, would people entertain mostly at home? Uh, would people, <coughs> excuse me, entertain mostly at home? Oh, just fighting among ourselves mostly. I guess there was 11 of us. And, uh, Everybody had the toe of the mark, and it wasn't there wasn't really much to do. Only just helping with the odds around gardening and fall of the year picked apples and things like that. And, but as far as entertainment was concerned, there wasn't much. There'd be a Christmas concert at the Sunday school, possibly, and a Christmas concert at the school. And Did you ever uh, participate in those concerts? Sometimes, yes. Do you remember uh, a role you, that you played? No, I don't really remember. I remember one time at the Sunday school we had a, what they called a minstrel show. We all dressed up and blackened ourselves and just changed colors, I suppose. And that, no, there was really not much that I remember of, only just you know, the boys at school and girls as well, the recitation, some of them would sing a song. And, but just whatever the teacher come up with, it was... Now when you're older and you went to dances, what type of music would they play? Mostly square dances. Clareville Hall... Oh, they used to have several dances in Clareville Hall, and it was mostly square dances and odd waltz or foxtrot, but... Nothing like they have today. 
the uh, how about weddings? Um, they were a fairly important part of the community. Did they have anything like um, uh, chivalry or anything? Yes. Everybody that got married had a chivalry if you could catch them. How about did they catch you when you got married? Uh, if they were wise to you coming, sometimes they would get out of sight, and you, but they would always show up before the night was over and they'd have a real big party and of course the bride groom had to pony up five or ten dollars, whatever they could afford. Well, they'd usually take that and each one that was at the shivery would add a little to it and go and buy them a present and have a big night with a presentation. And so it was really a lot of fun. Do you remember one in particular that's being really good? Only our own. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I remember uh, we were sitting around the table in the house. We stayed with my father and mother for a while while we were finishing the house over on the other farm. And we were sitting around the table. I don't know whether we were reading or just talking in general, but one of the neighbors came in, Mr. Lindsay. He came in and we were sitting talking to him and uh, Marie got kind of wise anyway and she gave me a nudge after the second one come in. I don't remember who that was, but we didn't have time to get out of sight. They had the house surrounded before we got out. <laughs> How many people would be there? Oh, possibly 25 or 30. They can really make a big noise too. Some of them would have a shotgun and, and we had what they called these old horse fiddles. Used to get a piece of a saw and fasten it to a board and then they had a cog wheel with a handle on it and they'd turn it and blow the sound. Pretty near break the window panes. But everybody around the community got shivered. Sometimes uh, I never heard tell of too much of it around Clareville, but sometimes they'd get kind of destructive at these chivalries. There was one I heard tell of one time they turned the blower of a thrashing machine in the upstairs window. But we never done anything like that. We always made fun of it. They used to be policed by OPP if they were ever required from Brampton. But there was never a constable down there on a regular basis? There was one at Thistletown at one time. And I suppose he belonged to the Metro Force, I don't know. And Oh, an odd time he was up to Clareville, no doubt. But I don't remember of any incidents serious incidents that, uh, that the police was required. How was the, uh, the police looked upon by the, by the people in Clareville? They looked upon as friends or as or someone to avoid? The, the general like, general people mm -hmm. around? Yeah. They were all very friendly people. I don't know of anybody that had any enemies around Clareville. And 
they would all help. If help was required, you could go to any one of them, and they were quite willing to come to anybody's aid at any time. No, they were very friendly and very helpful at all times, as I remember them. What the, um, and I never heard of any incidents where there was any black sheep in the bunch at all. What the, uh, did you have a volunteer fire department? No. No, the only fire department I know of was in Woodbridge, and it was, well, it was a volunteer department, but it was just a pull cart, no engine or anything, and they had the water system in Woodbridge, and they just took whatever pressure there was from their hydrants. So what, what would happen in case of a fire in uh, Clareville? I don't remember a fire in Clareville, but I guess it was just a case of either try to save it or let it burn. There was once, I remember we were thrashing at the farm next to, next one north, George Codlin it was. And what happened, I couldn't say, but the stack in the barnyard took fire. And there was men came from, oh, I couldn't say how far away. Of course, everybody went to a fire then. They took a pail with them. And luckily, there was a tank of water up in the barn. And one fellow got in the tank and pailed the water out to the other fellows, and they made a bucket line, handed the pails from one to another, and we saved the barn. The stack was burnt, but we saved the barn. That was the only fire I ever remember of around there, which was really a miracle that it happened, but shows you what manpower can do, I guess. But we used to have a gravel pit on the farm, and they were hauling gravel out of the pit at the time, and everybody that was they just left uh, the gravel, the teams and everything, and came to help at the fire. It's really amazing how they will come to a person's aid. But I would say there was a hundred people there that day fighting that fire, which was really fierce, too, in a Strostak. And it was only about eight or ten feet from the barn on one side of it. We got it pretty. We kept the barn doused down with water and let it burn away until it got down. And then he put a rope around the back of the stack and just pulled it away from the barn, spread it around. But they saved the barn was the main thing. You mentioned uh, a gravel pit. Now, uh, where would where would they sell this gravel? The Malton Side Road at that time, I suppose they call it Derry Road now, was graveled from that pit for the first time. And the Indian Line was graveled from it. It wasn't good gravel for cement, it was just road gravel. And Steeles Avenue from Clareville West, I couldn't say how far, possibly over to Airport Road, was graveled out of there. 
So it was all local and consumption. The, yes. Some of the farmers would get the odd load maybe for their lane. It's just uh, around the area. They hauled it with teams and wagons. It's all the handwork. But it wasn't a big pit, it was just small. And that's where this spring was that I was telling you about, was in the bottom of the gravel pit. Now, uh, the, uh, the bricklayer, uh, where would he get his bricks from? I couldn't say that. The nearest brickyard I knew of was Brampton. Whether there was any more around the area, I don't think so, but I couldn't say where the bricks came from. You remember your, uh, your doctor? Dr. McLean was our family doctor at home, and there was Dr. Peter McLean, was the old fella, and then his son took over from there, Dr. Garnet McLean, and at the present time, Dr. Charlie McLean, his son, is still in Woodbridge. Well, then when I went to Malton, I switched to the same doctor as Marie, Dr. Charlton in Weston. And he retired about 1973, I think. So I didn't bother going to a doctor for a long while, and then I started going to a Dr. Grossman just across here at Islington Avenue on our street. Now, uh, your family doctor, the, the McLean, Dr. McLean, the Dr. McLeans, uh, they would all do house rounds and... Yes, he used to drive a horse and buggy, as I, this Dr. Peter, as I remember him. But he'd go out to the farms, I guess there was 11 of us there, and I guess we were all born in the house. He would drive out with the horse and buggy, and then Dr. Garnet McLean, I remember, he got a car. But in the winter time, you couldn't get anywhere with a car, and some fellow in Woodbridge, I think his name was Hamilton, he ran a grads there, and he built him a snow car that would run in the sleigh track. <laughs> it was really amusing. He got around real good with it. Now, what, what would the snow car look like? Well, just an ordinary, it was a Ford car, and it had, he had dual wheels on the back of it. Two tires instead of one, and he had skids on the front. But the comical part of it was you couldn't turn it around going ahead, you had to back up to turn around. I remember one morning he came to our place and we met him at Clareville, I think it was, with the horse and cutter, and I had to take him back to Clareville. And he had to back up to turn around to get in the sleigh track to go back to Woodbridge, but he could really travel. Would there be any uh, sort of uh, grocery delivery or anything like that? Were there traveling salesmen that sort of hit all the farms? No, there was no grocery delivery, but there was a fellow by the name of Johnny Crooks and he delivered bread 
out of Thompson's Bakery in West with a horse and wagon. And he used to come to the house right across the road from the school, as I first remember him. And he was selling bread at a nickel a loaf after driving all the way from Weston with a horse and a wagon. And quite a difference from today. Would, would he sell things other than, other no, than bread? No, just, just bread. Uh, Thompson's run a bakery in Weston and he delivered the bread. I suppose he delivered it right along the route, right out to Clareville School. Any further, I don't know. Did your farm have a uh, telephone? Yes. And where it was, was? It was uh, serviced from Woodbridge. It was what they called the Woodbridge and Vaughan Telephone Company, which eventually was taken over by Bell. Do you remember uh, who the central was? Who the telephone operator was? No, I don't. I don't think I ever heard the name. But the phone in, get the time, uh, if the clock happened to stop, and all kinds of service on the telephone. What was the, uh, what would you say was the, the best service you got from that telephone? So the most unusual way they helped you? Well, the best service you would get, you could phone your order into the grocery store and before you went in to pick it up, or you could the doctor, I suppose, would be the most important thing for the... But it, it wasn't what you'd call real good service compared today, but it was really an asset to the farmers, I guess, when they got the telephone. How about newspapers? Were there any newspapers out that way? Yes, we had, uh, when they started the rural delivery, I don't remember about it when the post office was in the grocery store, but when they started the rural delivery, it was delivered by the mailman. So which paper would you get? And I think the first one I remember was called The World. And it's still the same paper, the Toronto Star, but the name has changed several times and since that time. Was there any, was there a newspaper that came out of Woodbridge? Not until later years. There was a person in Palgrave started a printing place up there and he put out what he called the Woodbridge Advertiser. But the only thing that was in it was advertisements. It wasn't, though, maybe a little section of news, but it was advertisements and half of it would consist of farm auction sales and the rest would be all help wanted or houses to rent or whatever it could be but it was just an advertising leaflet you could call it probably four pages and now it's my turn Mr. Codlin was rather hard of hearing and wasn't feeling all that great uh, today, so that's why the numerous pauses this time around. His memory was very good, um, but, a, but he also had this 
didn't particularly want to talk about any of the uh, uh, bad characters, I guess you'd call them, in the Clairville area. There was one, um, which an older gentleman, when he was young, uh, when uh, Bill Codlin was young, by the name of, it was called Squire Wallace. Now, he wasn't sure, but he thought he was with the uh, judicial service, and uh, but and everyone sort of said Squire with a bit of bitterness. He's obviously a, some sort of a pompous sort of person. Other than that, uh, seemed to have covered most of what he remembered from Clareville back in the early part of the 1900s. Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicokehistorical.com. See you next month!